Well, my family and I have been renting a house for the past few months. We sold our house. We've been renting a house. And in this rental house that we have, that the gas fireplace is not working. It's not working. There's no gas coming out. And so I've been like creating these fires. My wife will say, it's cold. Can you make a fire? And it's like, all of a sudden now it's like this much harder thing. Cause I got to go like forage around for like leaves in my backyard for kindling, like a caveman would do to, 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 to get this fire going. And so I've been creating fires in our fireplace. Darby has been starting fires in our fireplace, but it's been a lot more difficult. I'm having to like resort back to my Royal Ranger days. Rural Rangers is like Boy Scouts, but it's like the Christian version, you know, it's Boy Scouts, but in church. And so uh, I, I was a Royal Ranger. And so I'm getting, you know, my, my fire badge, like all over again, right? Creating these, these fires. Maybe you've, you've been there and you've used some lighter fluid or maybe uh, uh, gas propane, right? And you're starting that fire and maybe there's too much lighter fluid or there's too much propane and that fire just kind of explodes on you and singes your hair and your eyebrows and the hair on your hands and your arms and you, you smell like you're well done, ready to stick a knife and fork in you, right? I mean, a lot of us have been there before. I'll never forget camping with a few friends, a couple guys that worked for me. This was like 20 years ago, sitting around a campfire with these guys and one of the guys, his name was Kurt, for some reason took this big cardboard box and threw it on the campfire. Well, somehow, I don't understand the physics of this, it created like this blow torch, like this flamethrower and a flame goes right out the end of it and nearly like incinerates my other friend, Tyler dives out of his chair to, to miss this, to miss this flame. You know, I don't know what it is with, with boys and fires, right? Uh, they, they love fire. I remember growing up in the sandbox in my backyard, like lighting Lego men and army men on fire, you know, just to watch them burn. I mean, boys are sick, right? We like to watch things burn. We like to play with fire, but, but Jesus this morning is going to say, Hey, don't play with fire. Like, like don't play with the fire that is to come. Like there's going to be a fire for me. Jesus says, there's going to be a fire for my disciples. Jesus says, and there's going to be a fire that's to come. You, you can't escape the fire. And at the same time, Jesus is going to say, don't, don't play with the fire though. That is to come. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, or open up our app, the city church Lubbock. If you don't have it, you can download it in your app store and click message notes. And everything we're talking about this morning is right there in those message notes, the verses, the points, the quotes, you can even fill in the blank as we go with the words that are in all caps here on our TV screen. It's a great way to stay involved and engage in our time this morning. As you're turning uh, to Luke 12, as you're opening up our app, I want to remind you of our all members meeting next Sunday, the 29th, right after church, we'll have lunch. You should have gotten an email if you're one of our members, covenant members, please go on RSVP, sign up for that. Let us know that you're coming so that we're ready for you. We're gonna cover our year-end report from last year, our financial report, talk about some things from last year, set up some things for this next year. You're gonna get a preview. You're gonna get the first glimpse of some pictures of what's to come and some plans that we have for the summer, all of that before uh, we roll it out kind of the rest of the church. So. Definitely come if you're not a covenant member and you're like, man, that sounds like something I want to be involved in in the future. Then you need to be one of our covenant members. The next covenant membership lunch is like in a month, I believe. You can sign up for it on the signups tab on our app. All right, we're in the middle of a series, like right smack dab in the middle of the Gospel of Luke in our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Luke. We're studying the Gospel of Luke in here, but we're studying it also. We're inviting you to join us in our study of it, not just to hear it here, but to study it with us in our small groups this week, our city groups, 
They'll cover these same verses. Our daily devotionals, Monday through Friday, on our app, under the Bible study tab, are going to cover these same verses. And then as a family, we're inviting you to study the Gospel of Luke together with the Table Talk. That's a Bible study resource, again, under the Bible study tab in our app. Your kids, our students right now, are learning these exact same verses. Everything that you're, you're hearing, they're hearing, and maybe a more age-appropriate way. And so the Table Talk is a great resource, maybe to gather around the lunch table today after church and talk about what the Lord has shared with you or spoke to you today. All right, before we dive in, I gotta give you a picture of something, like, like just about who we are, in case you're new, uh, what we're doing and why. I just gotta give you a picture that I felt like the Lord kinda showed me this week and, 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 and just encouraged me with this week. Some of you will remember the story of Daniel in Daniel chapter one, where Daniel and his friends have this wine and food that is offered to them by the king. They resolve, however, to not eat what the king offers in order to not defile themselves as committed Jews. Well, the king's official is fearful that they're going to appear unhealthy and that it's going to be his head on the chopping block if they don't eat what the king is offering. And here's what Daniel says. Test us for 10 days. Just test us. Let us drink water and vegetables for 10 days. And then Daniel says, let's see if we or the other kids look more healthy after these 10 days. Well, after 10 days, this is all in Daniel chapter one. After the 10 days, Daniel and his friends were obviously more healthy than the rest. And here's what God showed me. It was about Monday or Tuesday. God just encouraged me with this. He said, hey, Clayton, that's, that's what you're doing. That's, that's what we're doing at the city church. And it instantly just encouraged my heart. And, and, and here's why. I'm betting, not 10 days, but I'm betting in 10 years that, that what we're doing, I, I'm, just, I'm just betting that what we're doing here, like I'm just testing, I'm just betting that just the word in Jesus is going to be enough. Like, that we don't constantly need the, the new, the fun, the hip, the creative, the, the entertaining series. Not that there's anything wrong with those things. I, I'm just saying, I, I'm just betting, I'm just testing that our verse-by-verse -verse study of the, of the Word of God is going to be enough for me and enough for you. Now, I haven't always thought that. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, I, I, I haven't always thought that. I, I, churches have not really thought that, especially in our country. And I'll, I'll tell you why. I've thought that and the, why, and the reason why I think other churches wouldn't do what we're doing is because they think, I have thought, that won't draw or keep the crowds. I'm just being real with you. And I'm just being real. It's like a sneak peek. It's a behind the scenes to why most churches and most pastors won't, won't do this. It's why I didn't. I'm not saying anything about them. It's why I didn't in the past. Because I bought a lie that you're not gonna grow a crowd or, or keep a crowd if you do that. And here's what we were saying. Here's what we were thinking. If we're really honest, here's what we were thinking. You wouldn't like it and you couldn't handle it. Like, I'm just gonna be real with you. We, we, we bought a lie that said you couldn't, you couldn't handle it and you wouldn't like it. And so you would leave, you would move on if we went all in on teaching the word of God, especially verse by verse. I've been told, Clayton, if we did what you're doing, our people would leave. And that's sad, like on so, so many levels, it's 
Sad because it might partially be true. It's sad because whether you realize it or not, this is what your soul desires. It desires the word of God. It's, it's living water. It's bread of life. Like your soul desires the word. You may not even realize it. It's sad in that way. It's also sad because it just tells you like the state of Christianity in our country today where the word in, in Jesus just wouldn't be enough. We've got to somehow add to it with being, by being fun and creative and hip and new and all the time in order to keep people's attention. Now, I'm not saying that like preaching verse by verse is the only right way and everything else is wrong. I'm not saying that. I hope you hear my heart. But what I am saying clearly by us going all in on it is that I think it's going to be more effective or I wouldn't be doing it. So I am saying that. I have no problem saying that. But I do think it's going to be more effective. And here's my bet. Daniel Project, right? Here, here's my bet. Here's what I'm testing. Here's my bet. I'm, I'm betting that with this diet, like with verse by verse study of the word of God, not skipping anything, here, here's my bet. I'm testing this. I'm just believing this, that we are going to have healthier, deeper, more effective, more faithful, more steadfast, more generous disciples of Jesus, that marriages will be richer and our kids will know what they believe and why they believe it. That's what I'm betting. And I've been told over and over and over, Clayton, some people, they're not going to like that. Like you can't grow a church like this. First of all, that's not my job. My job is not to grow a crowd. Jesus sure didn't think that was his job. He was okay with whittling the crowds down from thousands to 12, right? G Jesus would be like the most ineffective American pastor in the history of our country. So, so clearly like that's not, that's not my job. That's not our church's job. Go read Ephesians chapter four. My job, our job as a church is to equip disciples of Jesus to be disciples and to go and make disciples and do the work of ministry. That's our job. It's to make disciples. It's to equip believers for their work of ministry. So first of all, that's not even my job. It's not what we're called to do is just to grow numbers. But secondly, I'm banking that we have been wrong. And I say we, I'm, but I'm including myself in that. I'm banking that we have been wrong. And that for those of us that are here for the long haul, for the marathon, I believe you're going to look back and you're going to be glad, like Daniel and his friends did, that we stuck with this diet. I had a pastor friend that I follow this week said this, play the long game, pastors. Don't go for something cheap and frail. Go for something that is deep and beautiful and enduring. And I'm just inviting you on this Daniel project with me. And let's see, let's see what happens. Luke chapter 12, would you stand in honor of the word of the Lord? My friend Mitchell, known him all the way back to high school days, and he's now one of our elders is going to come and read for us. And as you stand, as he comes, I want to remind you, the psalmist said in 138, that God, you've exalted above all things, your name and your word. And what did Jesus say about his word? My words will never pass away. You will always have my word. So I'm, I'm, I'm believing Jesus. He rose from the grave. He proved that he's God. I'm believing Jesus that, that we would always have his word. And that's why we trust that what we're about to read is the word of God, that you are hearing from God as you read and listen and hear his word this morning. So Mitchell. Thanks, Clayton. Um, I'm Mitchell Anderson. My wife is Ashley Anderson. We've been married almost 17 years. We have... Uh, 12-year-old little girl Tatum and an 11-year-old little girl Bryce. 
Uh, Tatum's in the youth and Bryce is in the elementary. And I serve as a board of elders and also on the finance team and the building team. So uh, let's read together. Luke 12, 49. I have come to set the world on fire and I wish it were already burning. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me and I'm under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I've come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart, three in favor of me and two against, or two in favor of two in favor and three against. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Then Jesus turned to the crowd and said, when you see the clouds beginning to form in the west, you say, here comes a shower, and you're right. When the south wind blows, you say, today will be a scorcher, and it is. You fools, you know how to interpret the weather signs of the earth and sky, but you don't know how to interpret the present times. Why can't you decide for yourselves what is right? When you are on the way to to court with your accuser try to settle the matter before you get there otherwise your accuser may drag you before the judge who will hand you over to an officer who will throw you into prison and if that happens you won't be free again until you have paid the very last penny thank you Mitchell you may be seated well here Jesus goes again <laughs> fire division judgment right not real affirming not real encouraging not real inspiring you don't see these verses on a cute decoration in your house right you don't see these verses on a coffee mug you don't see any high school or college girls like snapping selfies like hashtag fire judgment and division like we just don't we don't see that right I, I mean here he goes again and you might be thinking, geez, Clayton, like Luke 12, I mean, this has been rough. Like this has been, I know, like I'm, I'm right there with you. But, but what does it say? Just, just think for a second again. What does it say about us if we're like, this sounds so un-Jesus-like? Does it? Is it? Like, is it really? Or does it just sound like that because of the diet of scripture we're, we're, we're maybe we're used to or that we haven't received? You see, this is why it's important to not skip anything and to study it verse by verse because this is very, actually, if you read all the gospels, this is very indicative of the ministry of Jesus. This is the kind of thing Jesus talked about. You now know why crowds went from thousands to 12, right? Fire, division, and judgment. Like, like this is why the crowds thin out. But it's important that we study this side of the ministry of Jesus, that we get the full counsel of the word of God and what it says about Jesus and his ministry. Jesus himself was anything but a contentious person. He wasn't argumentative. He was patient and kind. And yet at the exact same time, Jesus was the most divisive person in human history. Craig Keener in his commentary on the gospel of Luke said this, Jesus' ethics and mission differ so radically from those of this world that division is inevitable. It's inevitable. R.C. Sproul in his commentary on the gospel of Luke said this, he's not advocating a spirit of dissension and disunity. You're not going to be a jerk. This isn't a license to be obnoxious, right? But predicting, watch what he said, the inevitable because Christ is a person of passion. Christ does not invite neutrality. There is no sitting on the fence with Jesus. You're either with him or you're against him. That, that's, that's the only two choices. There is no fence sitting with Jesus. 
There is no position of neutral. And our commitment to him has and will cause strife. Jesus is saying, even within one's own family. Daryl Bach in his commentary on Luke said this about these I have come statements when Jesus says I've come. He's saying, Bach says, these, these statements of I have come are Jesus saying this is what my ministry is and what it's going to be about. So yes, I've come to save. Yes, I've come to rescue. Yes, I've come to preach good news to the poor and to heal the sick, right? right. Yes, I've come to do all of those things. But Jesus is also, guys, I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'm coming back to judge. I'm not just savior and rescuer. I'm gonna be your judge. And so these verses are so important to study because it's like we get this whole other side of the ministry of Jesus. These statements are defining and summarizing his ministry just as much as any other passage. Jesus is saying, with my coming, fire's coming. With my coming, a division is coming. It's not just savior, I'm savior and Lord. I'm savior and judge. I'm grace and truth. I'm compassion and conviction. That's why it's important that we study and we don't skip. So Jesus is saying there's a, there's a fire coming. I didn't come to bring peace. I've come to bring fire. He's coming. There's going to be a division coming. And so what, what, what is this? What is Jesus talking about? Well, first of all, in verses 49 through 50, Jesus is saying there's a fire coming for me. There's a fire for Jesus. There, there's a fire that I'm going to endure. Jesus says it like this. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me. I'm under, Jesus says, a heavy burden until it's accomplished. What is he talking about here? He's talking about his rejection that he's experiencing. He's talking about the betrayal that he's experiencing. He's talking about the slander that's against him, the false accusations being made about him. But ultimately, he's talking about the cross. There's a baptism of suffering. There's a fire ahead for me. It's the cross. And yet, the Hebrews chapter 12 says this, for the joy set before him, he endured this fire. He endured this baptism of suffering. He endured the cross. For the joy set before him. He's going to endure this fire. Why? Because Romans 3 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death. Jesus, why? What what, what joy? What, what, What joy is in there in your baptism of suffering? What joy is there going to be in the cross? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because the wages of sin is death, You've broken God's law. You're going to pay God's fine. Romans 5, 8 says that while we were yet sinners, God demonstrates his love for you and that while you were yet a sinner, he sent Jesus to die for you. You were his enemy. You were a rebel. And yet God loves you so much that in spite of your sin, in spite of your rebellion, in spite of being his enemy, Romans 5 says, he sends his son Jesus to show his love for you. He sends his son Jesus to die in your place for your sin on that cross, taking your fine for sin, taking the wrath of God for your sin upon himself. That's the the joy that Jesus has in view, he has in mind, is your rescue. It's your salvation by your faith in Jesus. And so for the joy set before him, he endures the cross to save you and to rescue you from your sin because he loves you that much. 
At the City Church, we have what's called the City Seven. These are seven foundational core truths that remind us of what we believe and why we believe what we believe. We cover one each week in here, in kids, in youth, and in everything that we do. And so this week is City Seven truth number three, and it says this. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? All right, now it's your turn. Congregation, right? That's you. We're all going to say this together. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Since all have sinned and the wages of sin is death, Jesus had to die on the cross to pay the fine for my sin so that I could be right with God. 2 Corinthians 5 says it like this. He who knew no sin, that's Jesus. He was perfect. He met all the righteous requirements of the law that you and I could never meet. He who knew no sin became sin for you. So that you might become the righteousness of God. You will never do better and try harder your way into the kingdom of God. You can never be righteous before God on your own because of your sin. But God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you in your place for your sin, to pay your fine for sin. He takes on your sin. He who knew no sin becomes sin. He takes on your sin so that by your faith in Jesus, not by your good works, not by doing better and trying harder, not because you got baptized or you take the Lord's Supper. No, 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 no. By your faith in Jesus you might become the righteousness of God. You might become right with God. And that's the gospel. That's the great news of the gospel, that that Jesus has come and paid our fine for sin on the cross that we might be right with God. there's There's a fire here for Jesus that he's prophesying, that the cross is coming, but yet for the joy set before him, he's going to endure this cross. He's going to walk through this Fire. Secondly, Jesus says, there's a fire for me. Well, there's going to be then fire for disciples of Jesus. There will be fire for me, which means there's going to be fire for my followers. Jesus says this in verse 51 through 53. You think I've come to bring peace? No, my coming, Jesus says, is going to divide people. It's going to divide even families. Now, obviously, there's, of course, this sense in which he does bring peace, peace with God, peace with with people as a result of that. But in another sense, Jesus is saying here, his message is divisive, that the cross is going to challenge people. That as Jesus calls his followers to take up their cross and follow him, some people are going to follow him and take up their cross and some people are going to choose not to. Jesus is saying when people don't rise to this challenge, They commonly become critical of those who do. Jesus was rejected by his own family. His family thought he was losing his mind. It says that in the Gospels. And and you would too if your brother went around saying he was the son of God or if your son started saying he was the son of God, right? I mean, just picture this. Your brother, your son comes and says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. The father and I are one. You're going to be like, "Uh, what are you smoking, bro? Like, what, you've lost it. You've lost your mind. The gospels actually say that Jesus's family thought he lost his mind because he was saying things like that. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. The father and I are one. You don't have to wonder, Jesus, you don't have to wonder what the father's like. You, you've seen me, you, you've seen him. So his own family thought he was losing his mind. His friends and followers betrayed him. He was rejected by his own people, the Jewish people. There were false accusations made against him. He was slandered. He ended up being whipped and beaten and crucified. And Jesus would say this, they hated me. They're going to hate you. 
Like Jesus said that. They're, they're, they hate me. If you're going to follow me, they're going to hate you too. Not because you're a jerk, but they're going to hate you if you follow me. Like it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows. Like you can be as nice and as patient and as kind as you can possibly be, as understanding as you can possibly be. Like, but, but they're going to hate you because Jesus said they, they hated me. R.C. Sproul again said this in his commentary on Luke. This text should not be seen as a license for obnoxious behavior on the part of zealous Christians. No, we're, we're called to a ministry of reconciliation and the virtue of patience. But it is inevitable that with commitment to Christ, divisions will occur. And division over his person and over where he stands in our lives is the ultimate point of division for the human race. Here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what Sproul was saying, that at our conversion, when we decide to follow Jesus, it's like we polarize ourselves from every person who doesn't follow Jesus. There's this, there's this polarization, there's this d division that takes place that results in this fire for disciples of Jesus, this rejection, this persecution, this derision that comes as a result of following Jesus or taking up your cross and, and, and being a, a passionate disciple of Jesus. Why is that? Well, it's because all throughout history, this world, culture, has embraced and exalted a culture of tolerance and your truth. Like that you can have your truth and I can have my truth and, 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 and we're supposed to tolerate everybody's truth. All throughout history, people have said, you, you can't know ultimate reality. There is no absolute truth, which is funny because... By saying you can't know ultimate reality, you've just made a statement about ultimate reality. To say there is no absolute truth, you just made a statement of absolute truth. It's intellectually inconsistent. You, you literally cannot say there is no absolute truth without making an absolute truth statement. You, you literally, you cannot say, philosophically, intelligent, like, you cannot say there is no ultimate reality because you've just made a statement on ultimate reality. It's intellectually and philosophically inconsistent to say so. But, but this is the point of polarization. Like this is the point. This is like the crux of where this division starts to take place because a Christian's going to say Jesus is Lord and there is no way to the Father except through him because Jesus said I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to heaven except through me. So a Christian's going to say it's, it's not my way, it's his way, and his way is one way, it's Jesus' way. But our culture is going to say, no, 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 no. It's not his way and one way. It's my way. But, but, but let, me, let, me, let me just ask you something real quick. Like, just think about this. What's more arrogant? To say, after 2,000 years of church history, New Testament history, a, a, a Bible that has stood the test of time, a, 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 a gospel message of a risen Savior with ample evidence and, and to say that because Jesus rose from the dead, he proves that he's God. And so I'm going with him. Like, I'm going with Jesus because he rose from the dead. He proved that he's God. He said he's the only way. So, so I'm going with Jesus, which means there's one way. It's his way. His way is one way, and it's through his son, Jesus. To, 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 to believe that, to submit myself to that, to humble myself to his way, the one way, or to say, what, what's, what's more arrogant? Or to say, no, 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 forget all that. It's my way. 
Like, like forget God in his way. It's my way. And to put yourself in the place of God. What, what, what's actually more arrogant? What, what's actually more intolerant? See, this is where this point of division, where, where this polarization happens. And the only thing there is zero tolerance for in our culture is to say there's one way. But that's what the Christian believes. And so that's the, the crux. That's where this, this fire for disciples of Jesus is coming from. But, but, but what's also true about fire is it reveals like it separates, it separates the authentic from the faith, the, 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 the fan from the follower, that this fire like reveals who the disciples of Jesus really are. And here's what the scripture says about this fire, that as you endure this fire, you're going to grow, you're going to mature. And that on the other side of this fire, because there is a fire, like there, there's fire no matter what you choose, whether you follow Jesus or not, like there's, there's a fire. There's going to be a cost to following Jesus. But on the other side of this cost, on the other side of this fire is depth and riches and joy and peace and satisfaction. That's what's on the other side of this fire that you find yourself walking through. Jesus said, there's fire for me. There's fire for disciples. But then finally, in verses 54 through 59, he would say this, there's a fire coming for debtors. There's a fire for a disciple of Jesus, make no mistake. But there's going to be a fire for the debtor. Jesus, in his discourse with these religious types, he would say this to them, you, you, you know how to interpret the weather, but you don't know how to interpret what God is doing right now in front of you. Like, like open your eyes. Like I'm, I'm here, like I'm standing, I'm God in the flesh. And so Jesus said, like, you know how to interpret the weather, like with this wind or, or with this kind of, you, like, you, you know what to anticipate, you know what's coming, but you can't see what's standing right in front of you. You see, their spiritual emptiness because of their hypocrisy has blinded them from understanding the signs that have been announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God and Jesus' teaching and ministry. Jesus has been proving over and over and over again that he is their long-awaited Messiah, that he is God in the flesh, that he is the only way to the Father, and they have missed all of the signs that the Old Testament prophets have talked about. Every committed Jew should have been able to see that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets, but they missed it. He was standing right in front of them. And it's like, it's like Jesus is saying, just as you know how to interpret the weather and you obviously know what's coming next. You, you haven't been able to see what's obviously standing in front of you. And so it's foolish that, that you can interpret the weather, but, but you can't see what's standing right in front of you. And Jesus is like, it's been obvious. I've been showing you over and over and over again. I've been proving that I am who I say I am. Jesus has been, I'm the, I'm the promised seed to Eve. I'm the, I'm the seed of Abraham that's going to bless the nations. I'm the sacrifice that's literally caught in a crown of thorns that's going to die in your place for your sin, the true and better Isaac. 
I'm the true and better Joseph that was rejected by his people, but yet rose up to bring salvation to his people. I'm the king promised to David. I'm the lamb that was led to the slaughter in Isaiah 53. I'm the righteous servant of God from Isaiah 53. I'm the greater and truer Abraham. I'm the greater and truer Isaac. I'm the greater and truer Jacob. I'm the greater and truer Joseph. I'm the greater and truer Moses. I'm the greater and truer Joshua. I'm the greater and truer David. I'm the greater and truer Isaiah. I'm the greater and truer Jeremiah. Jeremiah, Jesus is saying, it's obvious I'm right here in front of you and you've missed it. Isaiah 53, 700 years before the time of Jesus says this about the Messiah, that the Messiah will be despised, will be rejected, will be pierced for our sins, will be led to the slaughter for his people. He will die in their place like a lamb. He will be punished for their sins. That this Messiah will die as a result of this piercing and as a result of this punishment. That it's God's will that he is crushed and that he suffers. But that after he suffers, here's what Isaiah 53 says, he will see the light of life. Isaiah said, there's a Messiah coming that's going to die in your place for your sin. And after he dies, he's going to be raised to life. And Jesus has got to be like, who do you think that is? Who who do you think this is? He's standing there like, you've missed it. Who do you think that is talking about? I heard a story about a man years ago, a Jewish man. He kept being invited to a church by his friends and he kept denying them. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And so one of his friends, after many attempts at, at inviting him to church, he gets out a piece of notebook paper and he writes, handwritten, Isaiah 53, 1 through 12 on this piece of notebook paper. He doesn't say where it's from. He doesn't get the reference. So there's no Isaiah 53, 1 through 12. He just writes the words on the paper. And at the bottom of this piece of notebook paper, he writes three words. Who is him? Who who is the him? Who, Who is the he that it's talking about in Isaiah 53? It's a Jewish man. So he takes the paper, he reads it. And he can't help but read it over and over and over again. And here's what he said. He said, I I read it, but I had no idea where it came from. I've never heard this before. It's a committed Jew. He had never read, he never heard Isaiah 53. He said, but I couldn't help but think that this is talking about Jesus. But he said, I've never read this before. And so he went to a local rabbi and he had him read it and he asked what it was and he asked what it was talking about. And here's what the rabbi says. It sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Well, yeah, that's why I wanted you to tell me, what is this? He said, yeah, it sounds a lot like Jesus, but we just can't go there. We just can't go there. And so this man asked this rabbi, he said, why why have I never heard this before? Why have I never read this before? Where where is this from? And the rabbi says, it's Isaiah 53. And he said, "Why, why have we never read this? And here's what the rabbi said. We skipped that chapter. We skip it. We skip it because it's obvious who it's talking about. 
and we just can't go there. Many Jewish synagogues skip Isaiah 53. Many do. It's called the forbidden chapter. Google it. It'll pop right up. The forbidden chapter. Why? Because it's obvious who it's about. Well, this man would end up giving his life to Jesus, and today he's a seminary professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Because he couldn't shake three words. Who is him? Who, who is the him? Who's the he that Isaiah 53 is talking about? Who, who, who is it? He couldn't shake it. He, he, he dove in, he studied and he studied and he studied and he said at a certain point, it was like the Holy Spirit just caused a light bulb to go off like in his mind and in his heart. And all of a sudden it was like the entire, he said the entire Old Testament was like a neon sign pointing to Jesus. He, he, he realized he understood Well, Jesus was right. He said all the law and the prophets and the Psalms were all about him. They're all pointing to him. And he said it was like all of a sudden, every story in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. The creation narrative, the story of Abraham leaving his country and going to a place he didn't know. The the story of Abraham and Isaac, the story of Joseph, the story of David, right? All of these stories, it was like all of a sudden, he saw the gospel in every single one of them. He saw Jesus in every single one of them. And it was like the entire Old Testament was like a a neon sign pointing to Jesus. And so he gave his life to Jesus and he's a seminary professor today. Jesus said this in John chapter eight, if you don't believe I am who I say I am, then you will die in your sins. In other words, you're in debt. You've got a sin debt that you can never pay. And so what Jesus closes chapter 12 with to these religious people who don't believe he is who he says he is, right? He's telling them, if you don't believe what I say, who I say I am, you're going to die in your sins. You have a debt before God that needs pain. Jesus is telling them, you got you to come settle your accounts with God and you got you to come to his judge, which is him. Jesus is saying, you got to come settle your accounts with me like outside of court before that court date so that we can be right, so that you can be right with God because you've got a debt, a sin debt before God because you have not believed in who I am. You've got a sin debt that you can never pay back. You can never pay it. Because you've rejected God's son's offering of your payment of your fine by rejecting that you've got a debt that you can never pay. And none of your doing better or trying harder is ever going to pay back that debt. And here is why. R.C. Sproul said this in his commentary on the Gospel of Luke. He said, we are debtors who can never pay our debts in offending a holy infinite and eternal God. Our sin itself is infinite and eternal in nature. That is why we require a sacrifice that is of infinite worth. And that sacrifice of infinite worth is God's son, Jesus, who died in your place for your sin on that cross. And Jesus says, I'm not just the savior, I'm also the judge. And so you better settle with me, settle your sin debt with me out of court before that day so that you might be right with God. So that you might be not Guilty. You've got a debt you can never pay. But the great news is that Jesus came and paid a debt he did not owe. 
And so there's two takeaways from these words today. Number one, Jesus has endured the fire for you in your place. Like he was slaughtered, Isaiah 53, so that you wouldn't have to be slaughtered for all eternity in hell. And when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that the father turned his back on the son as he took on your sin and my sin. And because Jesus has endured the fire for you, now the father has turned his back on the son so that he wouldn't have to turn his back on you for all eternity in hell. Jesus has paid your fine. And so you've got a choice to make. You can pay the fine yourself. Or you can humble yourself, give your life to Jesus. Your sin is forgiven. You're made right with God. And Jesus takes the fire for you. But you've got a choice. It's fire either way. You either endure the temporary fire here as a disciple of Jesus, or you endure the fires of hell. But Jesus has endured it for you because he loves you. Second takeaway is this. Jesus knows the fire you're enduring. He, he knows what you're going through. He knows what you're walking through. Maybe you've been rejected by family, friends, culture. Maybe you've been persecuted. Maybe you've been made fun of. Maybe you've had false accusations or slander against you because you're a disciple of Jesus. And if that hasn't been true for you, I, I might ask, why is that? Because Jesus said this would be true of disciples of Jesus. So if it's not true, I, I, I would ask you, why? why? Why has that not been true in your life? I was made fun of in high school and college for following Jesus. I was told by a family member, your passion, it's gonna run out. I had family members, close family members, laugh at me when I told them I wanted to go into ministry and be a pastor. And they started making fun of me, like right to my face. Like I've, I've, I've had a little bit of that. I've, I've seen countless stories over the years, starting with our time at Raider Church when we were working with college students on campus. I can't even tell you how many college students we had that had parents discourage them from following Jesus, threatened to pull funding if they kept following Jesus, parents that would discourage their kids from getting baptized because maybe they were baptized as an infant and their kids saying, hey, I'm... I've made a decision to follow Jesus now. Like I want to get baptized to, to go public with my faith. Like my decision to follow Jesus. And, and, and parents like withholding things and discouraging that faith, that walk with Jesus. I know many of you have been in that exact same spot. Even since we planted this church, I've heard countless stories of, of people in our church experiencing derision and rejection and persecution and discouragement because of their faith in Christ by their own family. And if, if that's been you, if that's been your story, I, I just want you to know like Jesus knows that fire, like he's been through that fire that you're enduring. And here's what I want you to hear Jesus saying to you right now. They're gonna, they're gonna hate you because they hated me. But Jesus, Jesus said this, Blessed are you when people hate you and talk evil of you on account of me. For great is your reward in heaven. 
Blessed are you. Like when people hate you, when they reject you, when this culture rejects us as a whole, like blessed are you because great is your reward in heaven. Like your faith is worth it. It's going to be rewarded because Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is him. He is the him. He is who he says he is. And so your faith is going to be rewarded. In Acts chapter 5, the disciples are preaching the gospel. They're told over and over and over, stop, stop preaching the gospel. They're, they're arrested. They're beaten once again. They're let go. And it says the disciples left prison. They left that beating rejoicing. Why? Because of the beating? No. Because of the imprisonment? No. Because of the rejection? No. They left rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And they rejoiced in that. That they were living lives that made sense in light of eternity. And so they rejoiced as they left that persecution because they knew great is our reward in heaven because he is him. Do you pray with me? Heads bowed, eyes closed, just a moment between you and the Lord right now. I know there's some of you in this room and you've been thinking by doing better and trying harder and attending church every once in a while that that God might forgive your sin because maybe your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. Listen, friend, the Bible says salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. Ephesians 2. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And so today I'm inviting you. I'm challenging you. Give your life to Jesus Be forgiven of your sins. You can be made right with God. You can know for sure that if you were to die tonight, you'd go to heaven. Not because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. Give your life to Jesus today. Today is your day. Now is your time. And if that's you and that's what God's doing in your heart right now, jump on our app, fill out our connect form and let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today. But for the rest of us, I just want you to hear, just in your moment of prayer, this is your time with God. Don't worry about where you gotta go. Don't worry about what's next. I just want you to hear the Lord saying to you right now, blessed are you when people when people reject you. When this culture doesn't understand, when they speak evil of you, because you've got a reward coming. Great is your reward in heaven. And so would you just hear right now, the Holy Spirit is whispering in your ear, it's worth it. It's worth it. I'm worthy of your sacrifice. I'm worthy of that rejection. I'm I'm worthy. Great is your reward in heaven. And God, in this moment, would you spark faith where there hasn't been faith? Would you remove doubt and replace it with faith? Would you renew faith in some of us maybe who've been doubting? And that right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help us to understand and believe and trust that he is him. Jesus is who he said he is and that he's endured the fire for us and he has paid our sin debt, a debt we could never pay. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe for us. Jesus, we we thank you. We worship you. 
you are who you say you are. Holy Spirit, create in us hearts that believe that and trust that. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing?